Dear Grief, good evening, and you're very welcome to The Leap of Faith. On this evening's programme, we'll hear from Rabbi Zalman Lent as he prepares for the high holidays in Dublin's new Jewish community centre, and also from the renowned musician Moira Branach as she prepares for next week's world premiere of Kosor Nenev, a new music commission in Studio Kuhn Spittle which is inspired by the ancient saint's path in West Kerry. And in the background there, you can hear part of its third movement, Dun Agus Kushlon Rahanoin. But first, we're joined by the newly ordained Reverend Philip McKinley. He's curate assistant in Dunboyne and Rathmullion Parish Group in County Meath, seconded to Kildare Cathedral's Centre for Mission. Philip, you're very welcome to The Leap of Faith. Thanks a million, Siobhan. You have for many years been doing jobs which many would consider as ministry, as serious ministry, uh, lay chaplain at DCU, working on the Hard Gospel, amazing project, and not least founding the Discovery Gospel Choir and being involved with it these last two decades. And yet, very recently, you went and got ordained. What does ordination add or do to your vocation? Well, uh, that's maybe the million dollar question. Um, And I I think early on, probably when I was around 20, I felt a a strong sense of calling that that serving God was good and right and proper for my life. And for the last 20 years, I've worked in, in lay ministry. And I think um, it was always kind of a question at the back of my mind, but I was always sort of very happy to push it down as well. And something happened that kind of was a tipping point for me, and that was the death of three friends in close um, proximity to one another. The first was he he had just been ordained Reverend Graham Jones. He was 42. He'd uh, worked as a solicitor and then quit quit everything and, and founded a project called the Solace Project in the Liberties in Dublin 8. Um, and Graham was ordained a deacon and about three months later a special dispensation was given that he'd be ordained priest because he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, and through a strange set of circumstances I ended up at his ordination and I hadn't, it wasn't sort of intended that way and I stood at the back because I realised I probably wasn't supposed to be there and um, this was his ordination as priest and he was in a wheelchair at the time and um, a couple of days later I get this phone call from him uh, and he's in hospital at the time indeed he was in the hospice at the time and and he says uh, Philip listen I'm just ringing to tell you uh, how delighted I was to see at the ordination because actually uh, God's telling me to tell you to get ordained and this was the sort of jaw went smash bang on the on the floor and this was a phone call and he died about 10 days later and I've never had a phone call like that before or since um, so that was a very dramatic thing and then about a, a month later a colleague I was working at Dublin City University at the time and there was a uh, non-stipendary minister, as we call it, Robert Lawson. Ro- Ro- Robert worked in the Department of Chemistry uh, and he was very passionate about Richard Rohr's spirituality and Robert died. Graham, you know, had, had a very distinctive ministry in one direction, Robert in, in uh, uh, you know, a different tradition or a different perspective. And then I had worked for John Stevens in Dublin Central Mission uh, in the Methodist Church. I worked in Blantyre Methodist Church and John sadly died uh, from, from a tumour in his brain. And they were really about three or four months apart in close proximity. So that really got me thinking, you know, what what is my life about? 
And where do I want to be on my deathbed to look back and say, I, I did what I had to do. I understand the, the importance of this story all the more because I think it could be seen that you, you in becoming ordained, you're, you're somehow keeping it in the family because, of course, your father, Horace McKinley, is a, is a well-known and beloved Church of Ireland minister. But I also think that maybe, is it, is it the case that that showed you all the dimensions of being a Church of Ireland minister? And so you, you might have been more open to hearing a call at an earlier stage had you not also seen just what tough and difficult work it was. That's a very <laughs> insightful question because, yeah, and um, I most certainly, I mean, there's, I think there's eight clergy in the family. My grandfather, my, uh, my dad, my, my grandfather, my half uncle are the, the living members that, that I, I grew up with. And uh, sure, you, you see the, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a public role, but then, then uh, you know, you, you get to see the private <laughs> aspects of it um, and you live in the slipstream. Mm. And as a child, you, you just have no option. I remember the doorbell rang and, and <clears throat> I, I was there on my own and, and uh, it was a gentleman that, that had just been very badly beaten up. And I remember another phone call from from a woman and her husband had literally just had a, a heart attack and died. And I was maybe 12 and, and I just answered the phone and this woman was was hysterical. So you you, you cannot ignore or and, and I can actually look back and I always felt a, a privilege with mm-hmm. with uh, growing up with that. Uh, and yeah, we we folded service sheets and you know stapled them and all the kind of admin <laughs> stuff as well. Growing up, and you you don't know any of that has been anything other than normal. And for sure, it's it's important to kind of carve your own path and then come at a at a stage when you feel comfortable. So maybe I mean I I did explore this about fifteen years ago, but I, and I, I I feel the path I've gone on, the lay chaplaincy in Dublin City Universities, um, Plantersand Methodist Church. Hard Gospel, as you mentioned, Discovery Gospel Choir. I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do those in the same way if I was mm-hmm. ordained. And I absolutely treasure and love all the, all that I did do. Uh, but I'm kind of feeling the need to step out into something new and that I'm not in control of. That's the other very scary part. Who is in control? The Holy Spirit? Yes. Here I am, Lord. Um which three really powerful, well, here I am, you know, take all of me, the good stuff, the bad stuff, and see what you can do. Um, you just offer it up. Thinking of, of that, that, those very um, compelling uh, images of being a pastor's kid and being exposed to those very traumatic situations in, in real time, down the phone, at the door, the way in which pastor's kids... Um, have to share their parent, um, I think, deserves a lot more attention. Mm-hmm. And your father, um, apparently, on, on this very show as a few years ago, described, you know, how he had given his life to his job and he had great support from your mother. Mm-hmm. But there were sacrifices mm-hmm. there in terms of family life. So you go into this with your eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, how will you navigate those tensions? Because you have a wife and four, four young children. children. 
Yeah, I mean, do you know, I got a, I got a text message the day before my ordination from a, a, a Catholic priest, a Salesian father in Clonmel in County Tipperary that totally kind of blew me away because I, I'd only met him once and he'd kept the date of my ordination in his mind, even though I said it to him in passing, like, yonks ago. Uh, and, and his message was, put your family first mm. and all other problems just will find their resolution. Now, from a celibate uh, Catholic priest... I just really appreciated that uh, message. Just put your family first because it, there'll, there'll always be troubles and struggles and difficulties and problems. And um, so just get your priorities straight. So, uh, I mean, I, I know that. But um, when when the, when the hurricanes start to, to hit, it's 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 living all that stuff out. Um, and you find a balance. I mean, my mum was incredible. Uh, and and I'm one of four children, and then my wife is one of four children, and we have four children. So it's just it's just to find that that balance well. And some ways, I mean, I'm 41 now as well. I'm I'm coming to this a little older than than others. So this uh, the set routine, set uh, dynamics there that are already uh, established. But for sure, when when if 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 family starts to suffer, um, then then it can become. Uh, very problematic, and it does. And and there are now uh, much healthier resources around mental health, around family support services, uh, marriage services, couples counselling, and so on for clergy. Mm-hmm. Um, so all all the, there's a we're we're living in a much healthier age of resourcing and seeing the importance of of marriage and family for uh, for clergy. And there's mobile phones. You, the calls come to you. There are mobile phones. There's the, well, there's Twitter. There's Instagram. There's there's you know there's yeah. There's also a flight mode. <laughs> so you know um, there's times you're on. There's times you're off. And uh, there are are different ways. I mean, you you look. Everyone has to have healthy boundaries uh, in order to to live well and to flourish. Um, and there are stresses and strains with so many different roles in life. Ordained ministry is one of them. So uh, ev- everyone, everyone wants what's best for everybody. In, and you have in to it. mind yourself. Mind yourself. Reverend Philip McKinley, thank you very much for joining us on The Leap of Faith. Thank you so much, everyone. And now we turn to Rabbi Zalman Lent, who came into our Dublin studio on Thursday morning to record this interview, given that the Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday. Rabbi Zalman Lent is Rabbi of the Dublin Hebrew Congregation, Acting Chief Rabbi of Ireland and Director of Chabad Lubavitch, Ireland. Rabbi, you're very welcome to The Leap of Faith. Thank you, Sean. I hear that you are now over 22 years living in Ireland. What changes has the Jewish community in Ireland seen in that time? Oh gosh, it's been it's been quite a, a big change, and it's really in the in the size uh, of the existing Irish community that have been here for a few generations. As as they get older, the younger people leave, uh, maybe to bigger Jewish communities in the UK and elsewhere. So that community is slowly shrinking, and there's a whole new community which is growing. All of the high tech community, really, it's young people coming in to work in the city centre for the big multinationals. So that's you know, that's been a big change to watch the younger community grow and the older community slowly um, dissipate, I would say. And um, would they typically 
come to you having been raised in the Jewish faith or do they come to the Jewish community in Ireland just looking for a sense of belonging, a home, a faith community? So that, that's really interesting because the, the Irish Jewish community would have been very traditional. So raised, you know, going to attending prayers, at least on the high holy days, maybe the Sabbath with the, you know, parents and grandparents. The young people that are coming in are often very, very secular. So their relationship with Judaism is largely cultural. So what it, what's exciting for them would be coming to, let's say, um, a Hanukkah party or a Passover meal or something around the new year rather than any of the, uh, of the prayers. Uh, now, especially young people that are coming here from Israel, of which there are quite a number. So just by living in a, in a country where there are so many Jewish people around you, it's almost as if your faith is fulfilled just by being there. And most things are the food is kosher and the, you know, you can see very Jewish things all around. And many of them, when they leave uh, and they come to uh, they come to Ireland and suddenly they feel they're in a very different culture and they look around and they're missing those Jewish connections, which they took for granted. And so they go, hold on, how can I connect? And so, you know, they, they'll come for the, a lot of times it's kind of comfort food. They're looking for the food that they grew up with. Uh, so you have these snacks, they're called um, bamba or bisli, these snacks, which are, they're not really important, but it's just things that comfort foods you know so they'll come for the food and they'll come to you know into the synagogue a little bit and often for the you know the family events the cultural events you mentioned food and the the way in which food draws newcomers to ireland uh, into the jewish community here in dublin and i believe that um food is going to be a very significant part of the new community center that um, you are about to open with, I believe, your, your, you, yourself and your wife, Rifki, are Correct, yeah. uh, leading uh, this centre. Tell us about the centre and tell us about the, why food plays such an important part in it. Ah, OK. Well, very exciting project, yes, and hopefully opening before the end of the year. So it's, it's in Rathmines and um, the building itself is a fascinating building. It's, um, it was originally built as a schoolhouse. And then it became, uh, I think it was a badminton hall and then a pool hall for many years. Many Rathmines locals would know it very well. Uh, and then for 25 years, it was the Zen restaurant, Chinese restaurant, very popular restaurant. Um, and it's been, it's been vacant now, I think, since the end of 2017. So hopefully it will be opening shortly um, with a lovely kind of Jewish style deli, um, you know, the, the salt beef sandwiches and the chicken soup and all that stuff, which which we feel is a really good fit into what's happening now. Rathmines is all these ethnic food places. Um, so hopefully from the feedback we're getting, it, you know, it should be very popular. And I, I presume it's open to the public, the deli and the uh, uh, the cafe, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the food shop. And then the activities, because I believe that there's sort of um, cultural activities, children's activities, programming, if you like, will also happen in the centre. Is that for everybody or is that uh, specifically aimed at the Jewish community? That's really like a kind of parish hall for the Jewish community. Uh, so we represent uh, a global um, Jewish charity um, called Chabad, C-H-A-B-A-D. So we're the Irish branch uh, of that, and it's based largely around education. So, uh, so behind, so the the main hall area will be there'll be events, classes, educational things. So, but we're looking at doing all kinds of um, 
interfaith meetings and there'll be a research library there that people will have access to. So um, we're definitely looking. It will be th- that section of the building will be largely for, for Jewish community events, but definitely we'll be bringing in the uh, other communities as well. It's a particularly busy time for a rabbi right now, isn't it, as we approach the high holidays? It is. We're coming up to the busiest season in the Jewish calendar. And if anyone has uh, religious Jewish employees, they'll know it's quite annoying because they're taking off lots of days of work. It's it's basically four weeks. Um, now, we run on the lunar calendar, so the days change every year. But this year, it's uh, Monday, Tuesday, um, then Wednesday for the Day of Atonement, and then Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. So it's four weeks um, of of time when uh, we're not meant to be working, meant to be praying, family time. Uh, so that can be difficult if not in a Jewish environment where everyone's keeping the same holidays. It can, it can be complicated. But it, yeah, it's, it's a busy time for everyone. So we have uh, this Monday, Tuesday is the Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Uh, which is a, a very serious time. It's not a fireworks um, kind of beer drinking time. It's the new year. Is we look back over the last twelve months and we see what we may have, uh, where we may have failed or or hurt others or done something uh, sinful or wrong, and we and we try to fix that. A bit of repentance and atonement and prayer, and plan for the next year to be a better one than the past. So that's. That's Rosh Hashanah, the new year. And then there's the week after on the Wednesday is the Day of Atonement, which is 26 hours of fasting, no food, no water. And that's when everybody gets very serious. Uh, it's it's basically all day um, in the synagogue, prayer. Everybody's wearing white. Um, everyone's hungry and think and realizing how frail we are as humans. In just a few hours without food and drink, we, we realize our fragility. And um, it, it should be a day of introspection, a day of talking to God and, and requesting another year of life and health and, and blessings for ourselves, community and for, for the whole world. And what would be the ritual or liturgical traditions um, that are specific to Rosh Hashanah? I believe there are some unique customs that are only performed at this time of year. Yes, so there are some customs which... Um, are very popular so one of not to do with the prayer but just just in terms of customs so that it should be uh, a sweet new year so that's the blessing that we wish each other for for a sweet new year so there's a tradition of of dipping apples and sweet apples and honey so that's kind of a nice tradition at this time of year in terms of liturgy so there's a special uh, book we call it a machzor a special prayer book for rosh hashanah with special prayers in uh, a lot of very serious um, texts, you know, about um, passing before God and day of judgment and, and all of that. But the the highlight of the day, the two days of Rosh Hashanah is the sounding of the shofar, which is a shofar is a ram's horn. And that takes us back to the biblical story of the binding of Isaac and the ram that was found in the bushes. And so um, the, the core of the prayer is uh, silence in the synagogue and and this kind of primal, you know, cry of the of the ram's horn uh, rings out through the synagogue, and it's kind of chilling. Actually, it's it can your hair can stand on end, and uh, and that's meant to be an alarm call. It's meant to be a wake up. It's time to repent. It's time to atone. And uh, I think it does a good job of that. I see you you've brought a shofar into the studio with you this morning. Um, might you give us a sound? 
of yeah, it? Yeah, sure, I'm happy Thank to. You. So what I'll do is there, there are a few different sounds. There's a long straight sound. We call that a tekiya. Um, then there's like a set of three, which is shavarim. And then there's a set of nine, like a staccato, which is teruwa. And the reason there are different sounds, they're meant to be evocative of like somebody crying or an alarm call or an army, you know, marching out to war. There are different sounds that are meant to evoke kind of different emotions uh, in a person. But all of them are really kind of about repentance, awakening and repentance. So I'll give you a, a run through, uh, if I can, on the shofar. Rabbi Zalman Lent, thank you very much for joining us on The Leap of Faith. Thank you. This coming week in Spiddle, County Galway, Moira Brunach on violin and viola will be joined by Piper Mick O'Brien and Harper Noreen O'Donoghue for five performances to premiere Moira's new piece, Corson Nonieve. Commissioned from Moira by Studio Kuhn, the music evokes the ancient saint's path in West Kerry. Moira, you're very welcome to The Leap of Faith. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here talking. <laughs> Great to have you here. Thank would, you. Would you tell us about this very unique path in West Kerry? I believe you walked it again recently. I did, but in stages, I have to say, I've never gone from beginning to end in one go. I think the weather may have had something to do with that, perhaps. But um, it's a fascinating journey and it's centuries old. Um, in fact, it probably predates Christian times. Um, the scholar Moira McNeil, the author of the Festival of Lunasa, a very um, learned volume, she argued quite convincingly that um, it's probably also been a meeting place and a fe- where a festival would have been held at the end of July, probably um, the Reek Sunday that we know nowadays that the Celts would have had a festival at the, the end of July. Cusson and Ave would have other dates associated with it, or no dates, depending. You can go any time. Um, but St. Brendan's Day, Fáilavrénin, would be the 16th of May. And it's also a tradition to go um, on the Feast of uh, Saints Peter and Paul at the 29th of June. Um, but the people on the other side of the mountain in Letuch would probably go on uh, the last Sunday in July, um, known as Reek Sunday as well. And it, it's 18 kilometres long. It's it's long and varied, it varied is. terrain. So when it comes to using it as an inspiration for a piece of music, did you pick a particular part or did you try to evoke the whole of the, the route? I think it um, kind of varied. Some places would stand out and you'd maybe go back on your own um, to two sites that would be accessible, if you know what I mean, rather than, you know, uh, ploughing through the undergrowth. And, you know, that would be a different kind of a day if you wanted to check some um, site and go back and just hum the music or see what came to you. Um, I would have done some of that as well. It's called it's called the Saint's Path. Did saints walk it? Did local saints, were local saints associated with it once it became Christianized as a spiritual route? 
Yes, possibly. Um, people have been there going that route for centuries. Um, in ancient Ireland or in old times, it wasn't necessarily to have been formally canonised to be called a saint. Um, many people who are seen as being as, as living exemplary lives uh, would have been associated with uh, particular paths, and uh, there probably were loads of anonymous holy people, lay people, ecclesiastical, who would have walked on the road as pilgrims over the centuries. How did a commission come about to make a piece of music about this path? Well, the commission came from Studio Cohen and they were in Spittle and they were um, supported as well by the Arts Council and Ali and the Gaeltachta. And I was approached about a year ago, about this time a year ago, and asked if I would be interested in uh, writing a work or, you know, <laughs> getting involved. So I was very pleased to do so. And um, tell tell me a bit about the work itself as it as it's ended up, Kusul Nanev. There are about, well, there are 13 pieces, 12 plus one, I suppose. Um, some people say that the walk ends at Ballybrack at the foot of Mount Brandon. Other people say that it goes up to the top. So it so happens that there is a 13th piece called Exhul, <laughs> and that would uh, then, you know, accommodate the view that it goes right up to the top. Um, so it is a meditative journey. Um, the music can be a virtual pilgrimage. Helped, of course, by the wonderful performers playing with me, Noreen O'Donoghue on harp and Mick O'Brien, pipes, flute and whistles. You've kindly sent us um, a couple of previews, two of the um, extracts from two of the 13 movements, the, the Baker's Dozen that you were just describing there. And to play out, you've sent us an extract from Aline Harriga. Could you tell us yes, about that um, piece? Aline Harriga... It's probably the most recent uh, discovery <laughs> on the walk, I think, um, or one of the most recent. It's a spiral motif on rock, and it might have been mm. a root marker on the Kusan. It's also possible that it just happens to be there, and it could have been from some prehistoric date, and, um, you know, that it wasn't intrinsically part of the Kusan. What appealed to me there was the the spiral and the I was sort of thinking of how I could embody you know that in a tune. So there's a waltz to go with that one, and it kind of um, takes up the spiral idea. Moira, for anyone interested in being part of these premieres, could you direct us to the information they need? Yes, uh, the Studio Cohen website will uh, give full details, and you can get tickets uh, via Eventbrite. It's on from Tuesday the 27th to Saturday the 1st and at 8.30 and uh, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. And we'll play out uh, to Aline Harriga by Moira Branagh. Moira, thank you very much for joining us on The Leap of Faith and very best of luck with the premieres in the coming week. Thank you so much. We're really looking forward to it.
Leap of Faith is presented by Siobhan Garrigan. Sound supervision was by Liam Mullen and Sheila Navrail. The researcher was Sinead Kennedy. The broadcast coordinator was Michelle Gibson. And the producer is Sheila O'Callaghan. You can email the programme at faith at rte.ie.